loons are the state bird of Minnesota. And they are at the Sini Wildlife Refuge. They are the star. Um, even the um, even the sign when you head into Sini has the picture of a loon on it. So they are they are the star at Sini. Welcome to Winnie and Bill Chat. Yes, welcome back. This is our fifth or sixth episode of the podcast. And today I'm excited to share with you that we, our, our sound engineer has helped us to get better sound when recording our podcast. You may notice that when you listen today. Actually, our sound engineer is our son, Andrew Johnston, Andy. And uh, we want to thank him today for helping us solve our audio issues. We also want to thank Anchor Podcast, which is a free podcast uh, platform. You can find them online or at the Anchor app. Anybody can make a podcast. It's free. Today, we're calling our episode The Seven Mile Drive, which refers to um, one of the places that Bill and I really love, and that is the Sini Wildlife Refuge, which is located in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. It's halfway between Lake Superior and Lake Michigan, and uh, a little bit north of Germfask, Michigan. Kind of a, a hidden gem. You, you may have to look for it on a map to find it, but it's a spectacular little wildlife refuge. And uh, you can hike there, you can um, bicycle. Um, you can fish in some areas, um, but there is a seven-mile drive that you can drive your car through and see all kinds of wildlife, especially uh, migratory uh, birds and especially wetland-type animals and birds. Uh, we love to go to Sini. It's free admission, which is incredible. And we often will drive the seven-mile drive, get back out on the highway, and zip back up to the entrance and drive it again, sometimes three times. So we'll go to our first picture today. If you want to follow along, um, we're going to talk about 10 photos that I've uploaded to our Instagram, which is Quiet Shutter Photo. If you're not able to uh, look at our pictures at the moment, um, Bill and I will describe the picture and we'll talk about the backstory or uh, what went into taking that picture, that kind of thing. And you can um, you can either just listen or you can check our Instagram later on to see the pictures that went with the stories. So our first picture here is one that Bill took. So I'm going to let him describe it. So the picture we're looking at first is a... Uh a log structure that was in the water um, in one of the ponds. And there are about a dozen painted turtles sitting on it that uh, Winnie and I had took a little hike uh, around one of the ponds near the visitor center and uh, came upon this uh, section of little, I think it's just a dead tree that had fallen in the, in the water, but there were painted turtles all over this log. Um, and they were sunning themselves and um, just 
kind of interacting with each other quite a bit. And um, they... It makes me think of another time when we were at Sini and around this same time of year, and there was a little swampy pond that was so full of painted turtles. Do you remember that, Bill? Probably a hundred or more. Oh, there was turtles everywhere that day for some reason. And they were making a sound. It was, I, what we discovered later is that it was mating season for turtles and they were making sounds. We thought at first we couldn't figure out what the sound was, maybe frogs, but it wasn't exactly like frogs. And it was, uh, how would you describe it, Bill? It was this almost a moaning, groaning kind of a, a sound that... But there was um, also sort of a clicking and chattering. Yeah, it was almost a vibration. It was really quite weird. It was kind of a vibration. You're right about that. It was very prehistoric sounding, like the soundtrack to a Jurassic Park movie. Right. And we, we didn't, I mean, we heard it, but we didn't really clue into to what it was until something startled the turtles and they all dove in the water and the noise stopped. And it was like, wow, that, that was, was coming from the turtles. And it was weird too, because when you looked at the turtles, they weren't moving their mouths or, you know, their necks weren't like expanding and contracting like sometimes some birds do to make sound. It, I don't know how they were making the sound, but it was, it was, it was phenomenal, really. It was really unusual. I've never heard it again like that. Yeah, I never have either. It was, but it was, it was very prehistoric uh, feel. I thought, yeah, the dinosaurs must have sounded like that. Dinosaurs must have sounded like that. A little bit about the Sini Wildlife uh, Refuge. It was established in 1935. Um, it's 95,000. 200 plus acres. Um, originally, it was, it was people tried to uh, tame that land and make it into agricultural land, and it never really worked. And people just finally gave up, and nature took over. And then in 1935, it became a wildlife refuge, and they've improved it with um, a series of pools and dams. And uh, it attracts all kinds of migratory birds and just fascinating place. It's a mix of northern hardwood forest and pine forest and, of course, wetlands. And it attracts loons and cranes and wolves. I've never seen wolves there, but indi there's indication of them. Turtles, swans, bear, moose, lots of owls. So there's uh, plenty to see and hear. Um, they have a couple of pamphlets when you're entering the Seven Mile Drive that you can grab. And one of them is a list of birds and animals that you can check off when you've seen them. I think it's intended for children, but Bill and I always grab one. We love checklists. I love a check. I love a good checklist. <laughs> so the next picture is a picture of a beaver's head. Um, he's in the water. And the picture just shows his head, which shows his his little beady beaver eyes, his little tiny ears, uh, his nose is sticking up in the air, and his, his front paws with their big long toenails are grasping onto some greenery. It looks like he's having a, a Caesar salad. I think, again, I think this is a picture Bill took. They are, uh, yeah, he looks like he's having uh, something off the salad bar, um, probably 
uh, leaves off of a lily pad or something. It's probably actually what he's eating. But um, there are a lot of beavers um, in the refuge that you quite often will see swimming from one spot to the other. Uh, they do build up dams in there. And I think that the uh, for the most part, the natural resource people let them do their own thing in there unless they really get carried and, and they can't control the water flow to what where the, the beavers are moving stuff around. A um, couple of hikes you can take, you can quite often see a lot of beaver cuttings where they've cut down trees and drug them into the water for making their houses and their own little dams that they've got going on. Did you know, Bill, that um, a single beaver that has left his family unit, usually dams contain a family unit, but um, a male single beaver will build a dam in an effort to attract a mate. I guess the better the dam, the better the the better the mate. I'm not sure, but better the better the dam, the better the dame. That's where it goes. <laughs> better the dam, better the dame. Another thing that I discovered about beavers in doing just a little research, and this was something I found fascinating and I never knew, was that beaver have a gland that's located under their tail, and it's it, it kind of made me think about how you know dogs have that gland that. Sometimes the vet has to squeeze and it smells really yeah, bad. And, that's yeah, that's not a good gland to squeeze either. Well, on a beaver, though, um, this is called a castor sac. And out of the castor sac comes castorium. And it's a, a gooey substance that smells like vanilla. And believe it or not, it is used in artificial vanilla uh, flavoring. Yep. It's approved by the FDA as a natural flavoring. So probably all of us at some point in our lives have ingested a little beaver. Castorium. Castorium sounds so gross. Yeah. I think I'll buy the real vanilla from now on. You can't see the beaver's teeth in this picture, but beaver teeth are orange. And I thought that the beaver we see in the Sini wildlife, that their teeth were orange because they were stained from the tannins in the in the water. The often you'll see swans in the Sini Wildlife Refuge and their heads are stained rusty colored from the tannin in the water and from them dipping their heads in the water so much to uh, find food. But beaver teeth are orange by nature. That's the way they're supposed to be and they never stop growing. They wear them down as they chop down trees and and whatnot with their teeth. And so the teeth compensate for that by continually growing. Yeah, because if a beaver gets injured, they can uh, they get injured and can't eat for a while. That can be a real ha- uh, hazard uh, because their teeth will actually grow to the point where they can't open their jaw enough to actually to uh, eat anymore. It's kind of crazy. They grow fairly quickly too. Um, just one of those strange things that goes on in nature, I guess. Our next picture is a beautiful picture. It's a close-up shot of a white water lily and it's surrounded by lily pads. Looks like it was a beautiful sunshiny day. Um, the water lily looks like it's at its absolute peak form. It's um, white uh, leaves with a uh, yellow stamens 
And it's just gorgeous. And, and you see water lilies in the Sini Wildlife Refuge everywhere. Um, so if you, what, what exact month are the water lilies at their peak, Bill? Usually June, um, mid-June, depends on water temperature more than anything, but usually it's June when they come on. Um, and they will blossom for quite a long time, actually. Um, there's also some pink ones in that um, in that refuge as well, depending on where you're at. I think there's two or three different kinds of lilies. I'm a sucker for water lilies. I just think they're so beautiful. Uh, water lilies grow in uh, still water only. They So if a lake has a current in it, then it's not uh, conducive for water lilies. So the wildlife refuge is perfect because the ponds are still water. And they um, they are great food, a great food source for muskrat, which you also see in the wildlife refuge. It's sometimes you'll see one moving along in the water and you think it's a beaver, but it's really a muskrat. And so they eat the soft under underlying stems and roots of the water lily that you don't see above water. Um, also, it's good cover for fish and, and Bill's the fisherman. So I'll let him talk about why that is. Well, it's just a great place for the, especially the smaller fish to be able to hide in amongst them. And they actually, um, the smaller fish will actually eat the little uh, um, growth on the stems of the plants themselves. They'll, they'll eat the um, bacteria and stuff that grows on there. Um, so it's just part of the ecosystem, but the, even some bigger fish will hide out in there and then dart out at their prey when they're wanting to eat something. But yeah, it works really well. The frogs uh, really thrive on there. They can move around quite quickly from one spot to the other. Yeah. And sometimes you'll see a frog just hanging out on top of a lily pad and yeah, and unfortunately, the snakes will slide across them real uh, easy that I've way, I've never too. seen that. I hope I never see that. Yeah, I have. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. So our next picture in our series here is a snapping turtle. And this snapping turtle has dug a hole and is in the process of laying her eggs. Uh, snapping turtles are much larger than painted turtles. And whereas painted turtles don't have teeth, they just have sort of a sandpapery uh, inside of their mouths. I, snapping turtles absolutely have teeth. And you never want to get too close to a snapping turtle because they could bite your finger off if they chose to. Yeah, they actually grab a hold and they tear things apart. So they've got a series of teeth that will actually kind of grind things off. So you don't want them to latch on to I read that you don't want to pick a snapping turtle up by its tail because it can swing around and latch onto you. And because it, as it's trying to pull its tail away from you, that will cause them to clench down on their teeth even harder. Yeah. Yeah. They also have spurs on their tails, too. It's Good Lord. I would just never try to pick one up. No. This one looks very ancient because its um, shell looks like it's cracking. And actually, turtles' shells will replace themselves. They grow a new, fresh cell, uh, shell underneath, and then the top one will slough off and reveal the new one. You can determine how old a turtle is by counting the segments or the rings on their turtle shell, kind of like you 
count the rings on a tree stump to determine how old a tree is. Turtles can lay, on average, they lay 20 to 40 eggs at a time, but they can lay as many as 100 eggs. Wow. But only 1% of those will make it to a mature turtle. There's lots of hazards for the turtles. And, and perhaps part of that is because turtles lay their eggs in a hole, they bury it up, and then they leave and they never come back. They are not involved in parenting at all. The, the eggs will hatch. They crawl out of the hole and they just have a sense of where to go to get to water. So if they make it to the water, that's one hazard. But then as they're little turtles, there's many hazards that. So only 1% of them actually make it. One and done. One and done. That brings us to our next photo, which is, um, I'll just describe it and then I'll let Bill talk about this. It's a a close-up picture of a sandhill crane. You only see its neck, head, and beak. Its beak is slightly open. You can even see its little tongue in there. But at the very end, the points of its beak, it has a round, something round in its beak. And I'll let Bill tell the rest of the story. What it has in its beak is actually a turtle egg. Winnie and I had um, had uh, come across the turtle that we showed in the previous picture that was laying eggs and drove away probably no more than a quarter of a mile beyond where that turtle was laying eggs and uh, came up on this pair of sandhill cranes. And sandhill cranes um, are kind of shy birds. They don't let you get really close to them most of the time. But this particular pair was probably 20 yards off of the road itself. And they, for whatever reason, when we first came up on them, they were not scared of us, didn't want to really move away from where they were at. And uh, after I started taking a few pictures of them, I was watching, uh, they would take turns sticking their head down and look like sticking down on the ground and um, all of a sudden, I started taking a series of pictures and discovered that they were actually digging up the turtles' nests and having turtle eggs for lunch. Um, one of the pictures I got that um, actually shows a turtle egg that they had uh, swallowed, and there's a big lump in its throat. It's kind of crazy that uh, the eggs are pretty good size, but they were wolfing them down. They must have tasted pretty good. The turtle eggs, unlike chicken eggs, have like a soft membrane. They're almost like a um, leathery feel to them. They don't ever get really hard. So um, it's pretty easy for these birds to digest them. Well, they must have thought they had quite the treat. But when they swallow them whole, it makes me wonder if they were really enjoying them as much as they should have for stealing somebody's fresh laid eggs. when we figured out what they were doing, we were sort of incensed that how dare they, and you almost wanted to shoo them off. But really, it is the circle of life, and it's the way nature is. If every turtle that laid eggs in Sini had between 20 and 100 eggs, and they all hatched, it would be overrun with snapping turtles. And that would not be good for the ecosystem either. Sometimes you, you just have to observe nature and, and let it be. 
even when it does seem that harsh and brutal. Yeah, you'd just have the planet of the turtles if they all survive, that's for sure. Our next picture is a very common scene at Cine. Um, it's a picture of a Canadian goose. And often, I, I hate to admit it, often we don't even stop to to take a picture of a Canada goose or appreciate them for what they are. They're, if you live in northern Michigan or if you live in northern Ontario, if you live almost anywhere, Canada goose are very plentiful. So you start to just take them for granted. However, in this picture, this goose has what appears to be two, um, what do you call a baby goose, Bill? Gosling. Goslings. And, but if you look closely um, and you look at the um, feet of the mature goose, there's an extra little leg in there. So evidently there was three goslings in this picture, even if we didn't realize that when we shot it. Um, so it, even though we feel like Canada goose are kind of ordinary, you put a little string of fuzzy little yellow goslings behind them and all of a sudden they're very interesting. Yeah, it's a whole different picture when you're taking uh, take into consideration little yellow fuzzy things that run around mom and dad. So you would assume that the Canada goose is the um, national bird of Canada. So I looked it up and it turns out that Canada doesn't even have a national bird. So they got the name, they got the Canada name, but they didn't get any special recognition. Perhaps Canadians think they're too common and not that interesting as well. Maybe they didn't want to take uh, take credit for the mess that these geese make sometimes. They do make a mess. Yeah. And they aren't very friendly. You don't want to get too close to a goose. They will try to bite you. Yeah, they're very territorial, especially when they have little ones. Our next picture is, um, if you think Canada goose with, with babies are cute, this one's even cuter. Um, this is a picture of a sandhill crane, and along with her is uh, two baby sandhill cranes, which baby sandhills are called trunks, and I have no idea why, but that's what they're called. And in this picture, it's pouring rain. Um, we took the, or I took this picture uh, once a year at uh, Park of the Pines, where Bill and I live and our um, campground managers we have a photography workshop and um, uh, the photography workshop happens from Friday to Sunday. And then on Monday, we all take a field trip to the UP and the Sini Wildlife Refuge is one of our destinations. And we go whether we're going to have rain or shine, because as a photographer, you take what you get and you make the most of it. So this picture is um, was taken in the pouring rain. Um, the mother crane is soaking wet, and but when we observed her, she was walking down a dirt road and she was picking up um, worms that had come out in the rain and feeding them to her babies. It was just adorable. They are cute little things. They quite often just blend into grass and stuff, so it's you don't see them very often um, until they get fairly tall. Pretty exciting when you see a, a baby sandhill because, like Bill said, they they you don't see them very often. You, you don't see two of them very often. Yeah, either. The sandhill cranes are huge birds. The mature birds are they. You know, I would put them in the family with emus or ostrich. I don't know if 
they're related other than also being birds, but they're big like that. And uh, they have a seven foot wingspan. And yet they fly and migrate. And uh, during their migration, it is said that they can fly up to 200 miles at a time. Amazing birds. Yeah, that's a long span. Our next picture, keeping in the theme of mothers and their cute babies, is a picture of a trumpeter swan in the water. And uh, swimming along next to her are one, two, three, four swan cygnets. I think Bill may have taken this picture also at the Sini Wildlife Refuge. And you can, um, this is a good picture to show you what I was talking about earlier, about how the swan's heads are stained from the tannin in the water. Yeah, these swans usually are almost snow white, but uh, the uh, the tannins in the water in the UP round um it's just all all the iron and and that minerals that are in the water from the soil and rock formations around there tend to make everything almost a rust color um and the you can tell from early in the spring when you first start seeing the swans till the end of the summer that they uh they turn color it's kind of crazy how much they get affected by that the Sydney Wildlife Refuge is full of trumpeter swans. Now, trumpeter swans are um, the ones that actually make a sound, and it's uh, it sounds like a sounds like somebody who's learning to play their trumpet for the first time, kind of screechy and honky. And um, and there are a lot of them in the in the wild in the wildlife refuge. Um, swans, just a little fun fact are the heaviest flying birds in North America. So even though they are a little smaller than sandhill cranes, they actually are heavier, and yet they also fly very well and migrate very well. So that was interesting. Another interesting fact is that swans do not feed their babies directly like most birds do. Most birds will get food and put it directly into their baby's mouths, or sometimes they... Um, regurgitate into their baby's mouth so the food is partially digested, but not swans. They um, they work up the vegetation under the water with their feet. They kind of whip it around like a blender, and then the babies actually duck under the water and feed themselves. So they get salad on top of the water that they just get to eat up. Salad that's been in a blender. Yeah. <laughs> The next picture that uh, we have in our series is um, a picture of a common loon. And uh, she's floating in the water. The water is a little choppy, it looks like, that day. And riding on the back of the loon is a little baby loon. We often uh, seem to always uh, get to Sini when it's windy. We, we'll, uh, we've always wanted to get reflection pictures of loons and we virtually never get anything really calm but there there are times when it is calm there because i've seen pictures from other people's photography that it's amazing uh, but these are always kind of the birds that we're seeking out to see um it's always kind of a bonus when you get to a chance to observe loons and um 
there's usually several pair there. And actually, you... according to the um, Wildlife Refuge's website, they have an average of 22 pairs of loon that loons that return to the refuge every summer. Um, and then along with the 22 pairs, they usually have at least 10 to 16 single loons that are there in the summer. Hmm. So um, they also are home to what is known as the oldest loon in North America, if, if maybe not in the world. Um, and he is affectionately known as ABJ. Um, he was tagged as a chick. He was born in the wildlife refuge. And he is 33 years old. And he has a mate. Um, his mate is known as Faye. And she, they estimate, is 34 years old. She was um, tagged when she had her very first uh, clutch of babies. And they know that a loon has to be at least four years old to have their first um, babies. And so they've estimated that she's likely 34 years old. And there was um, news local locally uh, two weeks ago, I think, that ABJ and Faye have returned to the Wildlife Refuge again this summer. They have, in their time there, have produced 33 chicks. Oh. So, yeah, for an old guy. Getting her done. They're getting her done. We have seen and photographed ABJ. I mean, it's pretty, that's pretty cool. I, um, I don't remember how old a loon will live, but we'll keep checking up on him as long as we can. I always call him an old 96 and drives Winnie crazy because I don't remember what his number is. <laughs> when, you're, when you're taking pictures of them, they, their tags are on their, on their um, legs. And they quite often will stretch their legs out and you can take pictures of them and zoom in and see the numbers on their, um, on their tags. So you, that's how they identify those birds. So an interesting thing about loons is they are diving birds and they can dive up to 200 feet below the surface of the water. Um, their legs are located further back on their body than... Um, most ducks that you see or waterfowl that you see, um, and this helps them to dive. But because they're located so far back on their bodies, it makes it near impossible for them to walk on dry land because the balance is uh, incorrect. And so even when they make their nests, they make them right on the edges of marshy bogs and whatnot so they can sort of just float in and creep up onto the nest without having to try and walk too much. Um, loons are the state bird of Minnesota, and they are at the Sini Wildlife Refuge. They are the star. Um, even the um, even the sign when you head into Sini has the picture of a loon on it. So they are they are the star at Sini. Our next picture is is a beautiful picture. Um, it's of one of the pools at Sini. And the sun is setting, and the trees, a little spit of land that heads out around the, the pond um, and has trees on it, is silhouetted. And the sky is pink and purple and orange, a little bit of blue, and it's reflecting into the water. On the water, you can see a couple little circles where, where maybe 
fish are rising or maybe bugs are landing. And this is just a beautiful picture, very tranquil to look at. And I believe it's a picture Bill took, so I'll let him talk about it. Well, one of the things that Winnie and I typically do when we go to Senia is we try to time it so that we're there until dark. Um, it's always a beautiful place to end your day, and um, there are several different ponds where you can just sit back and take pictures if you like to, or just take it all in. And uh, it's quiets down most time there in the evening, and uh, you can watch the sunset and listen to the wildlife. And it's just a, a great place to uh, end your day. And we really enjoy doing that whenever we can in the summertime. It It is spectacular. And I do love it when we can time it that we are there um, and we have enough daylight, but also can stay through the sunset because it just is beautiful. And when you're in the UP, you are not distracted by a lot of traffic sound or a lot of noise or light pollution it really is a peaceful place and and like i said earlier a hidden gem so if you're ever in michigan or in the up um that is worth checking out worth seeking out and taking a drive through the seven mile drive or better yet taking a hike so it's a wonderful place absolutely We like to end our podcast by talking about the picture that got away or the picture we missed. And um, although we've been to the wildlife refuge so many times and gotten, gotten lots of pictures and lots of very interesting and fantastic pictures, there's always that picture that got away. And I, I, what I'm thinking about is the time that we had gone through the drive once and then went back into the entrance and stopped at the visitor center to use the restrooms. And everybody in the visitor center was talking about how people had seen a bear that day and the bear had been up in a tree and uh, we missed it. I don't know if it was there when we drove through. We just had no indication or we didn't see it or we weren't looking up enough, but uh, we missed seeing a bear in the wildlife refuge and they are there. So perhaps someday we'll find him. That would be it would be cool to see a bear in the refuge. We have seen deer and we have seen a coyote once, but we haven't seen bear and we haven't seen wolves. So we will continue to travel to the wildlife refuge. Yeah, and we have seen pictures of there are an occasional moose that wanders through there as well. So we're kind of looking forward to being able to catch one of those one of these days. That too. would be very cool. We often will be driving through there and um, years ago, there was a major forest fire that went through the Sini area. And so there are some trees that are charred and some little stumps that are black charred. And uh, as you're driving along and they're in the distance, you'll think, oh, maybe that's a bear up there, only to find out that it's just a charred tree stump. That trees <laughs> fooled us again. Fooled us again. Well, thank you today for uh, listening to our podcast, Winnie and Bill Chat. Uh, you can listen to us on wherever you like to listen to your podcasts and be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Um, and thank you again to our son for helping us dial in our sound. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. 
Have a good day. See you next time.